millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Renault Runway Event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Save thousands across the range for the new year. Good afternoon and welcome along to Late Lunch on this lovely sunny Friday. Joan Narkin sitting in for Jerry this afternoon and as usual, a really very busy show ahead. We're going to be speaking with author Emma Hetherington in a little while. We'll also be chatting about the art of writing letters. Do you write letters? Do you have pen pals or is that a dying art? We're going to talk about the brave little dog who dragged herself home after she was in a terrible car accident. And did you know that there's a day known as Unfaithful Friday coming up? Beware of that one. And we'll also be chatting about a group of lads who'll be fundraising for a GAA Players Injury Fund this weekend. We'll also have Leon Blanche looking ahead to all the weekend sporting action. But we're opening the show now with the issue of homeschooling for children and a slightly different aspect to the reasons why many parents decide to do this. Now, we're told that a growing number of parents are homeschooling their kids because they believe that religious teachings in many of our Catholic schools have become diluted and that the ethos is simply not Catholic enough. Now, a major one-day Catholic home education conference was hosted by Irish consultant Jackie Asco was held last Sunday in Dublin's Leopardstown to address the homeschooling issue and using the Mother of Divine Grace curriculum. And Jackie joins me now on the line to tell me all about it. Good afternoon, Jackie. Welcome to Late Lunch. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Um, you're a mum of seven children, Jackie, and you've never enrolled any of them in mainstream school. Can you take us back to your very first child and why you decided to homeschool? Well, sure. Yeah, our, our eldest, uh, when she was born, we did put her name down in the local school because, well, really because we'd never really considered homeschooling as an option. And then as she started to approach school age, we had a few friends uh, who started talking about homeschooling, and it sounded very appealing, you know, um, because I thought, well, she's very young to be going off to school. She wasn't really that keen on it. I wasn't really keen on it just yet either. So we looked into the homeschooling, and we were fortunate because two of our close uh, friends that we were friends with, these two families that had uh, children one year older than our daughter, so they actually started homeschooling the year before us, and we saw how well that went for them. And we decided, yeah, let's try this. Let's do this for a year. Um, And she was only four. Yeah, I figured can't really mess this up too much. Uh, Homeschooled for the year and just fell in love with it. We really enjoyed it. And so just uh, took it in the beginning year by year and just kind of assessed each year as it went and thought, you know, do we like this? Is she enjoying it? Will we keep going? 
And then uh, a couple of years later, we started our son. Um, and again, in the early days, we really would assess it year by year. But it, it didn't take too many years before we realized that we were on to a winner for us and we would keep going. So it did suit you you and your family and, and your kids. So it wasn't um, from the religious point of view or anything to do with religious education why you started this in the first place, Jackie? Well, I, I wouldn't say that it had... It was a. It was definitely a factor. It wasn't mm. the main factor at the time because you're talking about 20 years ago um, when we started. So it was a factor. We we wanted our children to have a rich um, understanding and and of their faith, and we felt like we could do that really well at home. And we also were able to provide them with academics that they needed and also the socialization that they needed as well. So, you know, those were our, I suppose, our main goals uh, in the beginning when we started out. We wanted them to have good faith formation. We wanted them to have uh, rigorous academic um, opportunities and opportunities for socialization. And Jackie, was it dulled down to you? Did you do all of the, the homeschooling? Did you teach your own children? Yeah, pretty much. Um, my husband works a full-time job so that I'm able, I'm very fortunate to be able to stay at home. I do work a little bit from home with my own business, but uh, we really mainly rely on my husband's income. So um, I was doing all of the homeschooling in the beginning by myself. And then as we got a little further in, uh, I was very challenged on some subjects, particularly Irish. So yeah. we did... And from time to time, because I'm originally from the States, so and my husband's Irish was nearly non-existent. Yeah, so. it's the same as most Irish people. We learn it for years in school and then we can't speak exactly. it. Exactly. So we did hire some help for Irish tutoring along the way. And then when the kids got a little bit older, I really felt like, oh, wow, you know, I've brought them maybe as far as I can I really wanted somebody else challenging them academically, you know, at least reading over their essays and, Mm. you know, being able to bring them on further than I could. So at that stage, we enrolled in an online homeschooling school. And that was one one of the best decisions we ever made because it gave the children the opportunity then to have other teachers involved in their academics. And I think that was something that really kind of uh, it broadened them an awful lot and it also gave them more opportunities to meet other students who are homeschooling so Well that's, yeah because that's what I was going to ask you about the social aspect of school, I mean I didn't like school I don't know many people who really did like school but there is a huge social aspect to it do the kids feel, do your own children feel they might have missed out on that? Well you know we're really fortunate uh, we've never had an issue with socialization, and I think most homeschoolers would say the same because there's so many opportunities for kids to socialize, not just with their own peer group, but up and down the ages, which I think is really true socialization. Plus, we were very, con- we, we, we really wanted our kids to have opportunities, of course, out of the home as well. So we would enroll them in different activities and sports, and mm-hmm. they, they, would, they met some really good friends. Our daughters did, uh, they competed in gymnastics. Um, at a national level, level, and the friends they made in gymnastics are friends they're still close with. Mm. Uh, and our boys did all different kinds of sports, from GAA to rugby to karate okay. to baseball, all different kinds of okay. things. So they, 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 the friendships they've made were more, um, they were more organic, and they were more, they were better friendships because they were choosing they friends were choosing that them. they really had something in common with, not right. just 
you know, sitting in the class. Yeah, not just who you were sitting beside in school. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. So, Jackie, tell us a bit about the Mother of Divine Grace curriculum that you're involved in and, and how is it different from other homeschool curriculums or what the children would learn in, in normal mainstream school? Yeah, well, I suppose the main difference with Mother Divine Grace is that it's a classic core curriculum. So if anybody is interested in classic core, the, the thing I would recommend, there's an article online. It's an old art. It's an older article from maybe the 1950s, I think, Dorothy mm. Sayers. And it's an article called Lost Tools of Learning. And in that article, she does a really good job of explaining how education up until the early 1900s had been more classically uh, had been more of a classical education. And then once the Industrial Revolution came along, education became more about um, learning a trade, you know, going to school to learn things for a trade or a job or something once you left school. And it kind of lost the whole idea of educating the whole person. Um, and classical mm-hmm. curriculum is that it educates the whole person. Um, so it, it exposes the children to truth, goodness, and beauty through the different subjects that they learn. In the early years, basically, you're giving them tools for learning. So you're teaching them to read, you're teaching them literacy, you're teaching them, you're teaching them mathematics, how to use numbers, what do numbers mean. Um, you're teaching them all the things that they need to pick up themselves so that they can learn, become independent thinkers and learners as they grow. And do you think, Jackie, uh, that schools are not doing that, normal mainstream schools? Well, you know what? When, when, you, when you understand what a classic curriculum is, you start to see, you start to, you kind of open, it opens your eyes. Like, I went to a small public school in the States, and funny enough, when I look back at it, whoever was arranging our curriculum in that particular school, was, they, were, they were trying to produce this classical curriculum approach. So um, now how well that happened in school or, or didn't happen, I, I can't really say. But I, I realized my, myself after I started teaching my own children just how fortunate I had been in my own individual. But I think, you know, a lot of schools, um, no, they wouldn't, they wouldn't necessarily be teaching a classical curriculum style because it, particularly in the Irish system, you're, you're, you're learning for the leaving cert, right? You've got yeah. this junior cert, mm-hmm. you've got the leaving cert. It's a lot of pressure, and you need to absorb a lot of factual information, but you're not really teaching all the, the art of argument, the art of thinking, critical thinking. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen in school. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think to a certain extent it just happens when you're learning. But Mother Divine Grace would be much more focused in their style of classical uh, classical learning and uh, okay and what we, ab- what about the 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 religious aspect to it I mean the Catholic school of course Ireland is still a Catholic country but you're you have said that the schools are accommodating to sort of make way for every other religion and keep them happy at the expense of of our own yeah I mean I think a lot of parents a lot of particularly Catholic parents who are practicing their faith would would say would be would say that they're concerned about their kids you know learning the catholic faith in schools nowadays because it has changed so greatly um where you know the 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 catholic you know the school may have a catholic ethos but are the kids really being uh taught the catholic faith Mm. um that's something when you school at home that you can you know you can look after yourself if you're concerned about that um, but, you know, it's, it's even more than that. It's about 
it's about it's a type of learning where you want the the the, the student to be understanding themselves and the world around them and how they fit into that world, how to critically think through uh, ideas, how to process, how to, how to learn to argue and persuade and to think clearly. But Jackie, what, what, would you say, what would you say to people who would say, well, the Catholic religion, the Catholic Church has failed children over the years, especially in this country with, with the litany of scandals that, have, that have, have emerged in Ireland over the last few years. What would you say to people who would counter argue that to you? Well, I mean, it's not just Ireland, is it? I mean, no. it's, it's pretty much a, a Western problem for sure in the church. The, the scandals that that have been rampant mm. in, in the in the years uh, in the in, in the recent past, um, and you know that that's something that I think is is really important too, because that's not just all the the faith is about. The faith is about much more than just those scandals. Those scandals are horrific and. It's really challenging to be a Catholic today um, in today's world because what happens, I think, is that we we all have this identity of being Catholic. We we are culturally Catholic, particularly here in Ireland. Um, but do we really understand what our faith is? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, these are times when we really have to understand our faith to be able to stand up and defend it because because of the scandals. Uh, it's really important, I think, that Catholics understand their faith and have a firm foundation of what of what they're saying, because if they don't, when you have these kinds of things happening, it really shakes you. It really shakes uh, the core of who you are. Yes, it, it, um, it, yeah, totally. But last weekend, you had your conference in, in Leopardstown. How did that go, Jackie? It went really well. Thanks for asking. We, we had a great time together. There was about 100 people attended the conference. Um, and it was a, a, a classical education conference. And we had two keynote speakers from Mother Divine Grace. There was Laura Bequest, who is actually the founder of the curriculum. She's written a book called Designing Your Own Classic Curriculum, which is an excellent book if you're interested in this type of uh, curriculum. And she was one of our keynote speakers. And the other keynote speaker was Teresa Pettimores. She's a consultant with Mother Divine Grace and a teacher. Um, and they came over. They, they spent six days in, uh, going around the U.K., and then they spent about five days here in Ireland mm. uh, meeting some of the families and and then attending the conference. Well, it's it's certainly something to think about, Jackie. It's not a subject we've touched on before that people are actually saying that our schools are not Catholic enough, that the ethos is not strong enough. So listen, the best of luck to you, Jackie Asko. Thanks a million for joining us today in Late Lunch. Have a great weekend, Jackie. Thank you. You too. Thanks for having me Take on. care. Bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Renault Runway event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Save thousands across the range for the new year. And you're very welcome back to the show. Don't forget now you can text or WhatsApp us on 086-1800-658 for your comments. And I have a feeling we're going to get a rake of texts in after this next item. So apparently coming up later this month, I think it's next weekend, a day called Unfaithful Friday, would you believe? A day when apparently people are most likely to cheat on their partners. Now, I don't know who in the name of God worked that one out and gave it an actual day. But I'm going to be joined on the line now by a lady called Mairead Lockman from from lovehq.ie. She's a matchmaker and an expert on all things love. How are you, Mairead? I'm great, and yourself? Not a bother, a bit reeling with this Unfaithful Friday stuff. I mean, I who know. came up with this crack at all? It leaves an awful sad feeling in your heart, doesn't it? Well, like, I was you know, just I going to say to you, what's happened to love and romance? I know, well, I'll tell you, love and romance is 100% alive and kicking so it is, you know, which is good. I deal with it all day, every day, but something like this 
you know, it is unfortunately part of sometimes dating. It doesn't have to be new dating. Sometimes it can be long-term dating and everything like that. And really, it's a it's an awful thing, really. Well, what is, is there a huge increase in it? it? Apparently, according to this website, there, there is a huge increase in people being unfaithful. They now have a day dedicated to it. Yeah, well, they've a day dedicated to a lot of things, so they do, you know. But Unfaithful um, but Friday, Mairead. Unfaithful Friday. But look, you know, what I always say to people is really, they're not just, they're really not just cheating on someone else. They're cheating on themselves as well and their whole relationship. Like really, you know, if you're not in a relationship where you're happy or something like that, first of all, you need to work on it. And that's the most important thing. Like, why are you cheating? Why are you feeling the need to cheat and everything like that? And again, it does come down to communication, talking to your partner, like, you know, is it a lack of satisfaction? Just even on an emotion level sometimes, um, first of all, like, why are you missing the connection? Or, like, you maybe with the demands of life and everything like that, is it that you don't get the mo- get a time to spend time together? Are you prioritising your relationship as well? Like, making sure you still have date nights, doing special things for each other. As my grandparents who are married uh, 64 years say, it's the small things, you know, and making each other feel special. Like yes. very often people can take people for granted and really when it comes to things like that you no longer feel special. What like really what is there you know in your relationship now? So that's the first place to start. And second of all then like looking as well as you know how is that person going to feel? How is your partner going to feel if and when they find out? Like you know there's so much to, to lose that there is and like really are you doing it for a small term solution to a silly little thing or your ego or something like that? Or are you doing it because you're deeply unhappy and would like to maybe possibly change your life or something like that? All these things have to be looked at. Well, they do, of course. And now we've websites especially especially set up to cater for people who, who want to yeah. cheat on their partners. You can go up there and just... And, and really, they're, it seems they're not thinking it through at all. It's just like, well, this is out there and I can go for it and no one will ever know about it. And But like you say, there are pitfalls that everybody could fall into if you're not careful. What, what would you say are the things to avoid? Suppose you're in a, a even a new relationship Relationship or a long-term relationship. What are the pitfalls then? Really, it's making each other feeling spe- feel special and everything like that. Mm. You know, don't don't like be kind to each other. Like that's the first thing. Everybody's looking for the same kind of characteristics in a partner. Some that's kind, happy, healthy. You know, looks after their appearance. All these sorts of things. Like you know, doing all those things. Like making sure that you are investing in your relationship, making each other feel special. Really, when you feel like you you know that you're not being appreciated anymore, or that you're just yeah. people, someone who's getting used to, you. like who wants to be in a relationship like that anyway? Like you're just as responsible if you're in a relationship to to you know to add value to it, to make your partner feel special, to to make them feel nice about themselves, be kind and everything like that. Very often as well, I see couples, you know, when you're out and about, like one partner snapping very quickly and everything. Like hmm. really, it's the person you've decided to spend your life with, okay? Like we can have a very stressful week. And I'm sure there's people driving to work or driving in work or in an office today in a very, like, you know, maybe stressful situation that are sitting there going, please just let it be 5.30 so I can walk out the door, you know? Yeah. When you come home to the person that you love, that's supposed to be your happy and your special place. You're supposed to look forward to the weekend and spending time together and everything like that. Yeah. So really, and not be know, bringing work and the stress home. Well, what advice would you give to people out there, Marie, that are, that are single and looking to mingle, looking to meet somebody? What advice would you give? First of all, decide the type of person you would like to meet and how you want to feel in your relationship. That's really important. Second of all, really dating is a numbers game. Getting out there and everything like that, but meeting the right type of person. So if you decide the type of person you would like to meet and then, you know, um, go from there. So what I do is I do one-to-one matchmaking. I meet all of my clients 
in person all over Ireland by appointment. And from there, I arrange all aspects of their day. So I have about 120 couples um, all over Ireland this weekend going on dates. We also do another thing called a table for six, where I send three single ladies and three single men out on group dinner dates. You know, if any of your listeners are single and are looking for love, like, why are you sitting in this weekend? Give us a call at lovehq.ie. Um, the information is there on our website. And really, we can we can organise, depending on your comfort level, some people are looking for something 100% confidential. Lovely. That's no problem. That's where the matchmaking comes in. Or if someone's looking for more social aspect, wants yeah. to get out and about, doesn't want to meet people online, but actually would like to meet people in person. Yeah. That's where we have a table for six. Also, we've lots of social That's nights coming brilliant. up for Christmas and everything like that. Right, it but sounds brilliant. If you're still in a relationship, we yeah. don't want to hear from Oh, us. yeah, you're the wrong website if they're still in a relationship. <laughs> Absolutely, we're Maraid, about genuine love. Mairead Lockman, lovehq.ie. Thanks a million. We're going to play out Not with a song for a the special occasion. You, you too. Take care, Mairead. Bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Renault Runway event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Call in to see how affordable a new car is in the new year. Welcome back to Late Lunch. Don't forget, you can text or WhatsApp us on 086-1800-658. We've had loads of comments in about our last article about love and all things to do with love. But um, I will get to those a little later because joining me now on the line, I'm absolutely delighted to be speaking to the author Emma Hetherington. Emma, you're really, really welcome to Late Lunch this afternoon. Thanks so much for having me on, Joan. Not at all. You are very welcome. Now, of course, your latest book called Rewrite the Stars is just out. And I have to say, I'm halfway through it, Emma, enjoying it very much, very, very much indeed. It kept me it kept me up very late last night, I have to say, <laughs> because once I got stuck in, that was it. So but can we go back, Emma? When did you first think about a career in writing and, and how did you get into it in the first place? Um, I think looking back into my childhood, I think um, being a writer is something that's always possibly just in there somewhere. Um, I always had a great imagination and a great love of telling stories and also making up my own songs. Um, I was never particularly uh, trained in music or anything, but I used to really enjoy sitting in my bedroom every Sunday afternoon with a wee keyboard and I would make up my own songs and dream of being the next Kylie Minogue or Madonna or whoever was big so at the you, time. So you started off with dreams of pop stardom then? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I used to write songs um, from a very, very young age. So that's when my writing really started, around the age of 11 or 12. And um, it just probably, you know, looking back at school life, uh, English, uh, art, history, music, mm. they're all my favourite subjects. Even French, you know, I love languages as well. So Exactly the same as myself, Emma. Exactly yeah, the really? same as myself. Yeah. yeah, exactly the same subjects. Yeah, but how did you then turn that in, in into a career in writing? Well, I, my career began in PR, so I suppose there's an element of writing in, in that. And mm. it, but it just wasn't really satisfying that internal itch, if you like. You know, I I spent my time daydreaming a lot of of writing a novel, and um, but it was always something that I. I thought it was maybe just a, a pipe dream. I didn't think I could ever make it happen. And then I entered a short story competition uh, after my aunt encouraged me to do so. She's a budding writer herself, and we both entered it in Woman's Way magazine. Oh, right. And um, I couldn't believe it that I came first place. And that gave me great confidence uh, to try something a bit longer. And um, before long, I had written the first draft of, of a novel, which was called Crazy For You. And it was 
a wee bit different to what I'm writing now and that was more along the lines of like a rom-com um, but I put pen to paper and got it done. I had three young kids at the time and was working full time in PR so it was one of those things that I was doing you know just when I could grab an hour or two at night and I was delighted to have that published by Marisa Mackle at Daughter mm-hmm. Books and that led on then to a three book deal with Poolbeg and then a second three book deal with Poolbeg. Oh um, Emma you make it sound so easy. I, I know it wasn't <laughs> that easy at all. <laughs> Let me tell you it wasn't. I had loads of uh, rejections along the way as, as yeah, writers do. Ups and downs and you yeah. know nearly and I remember one time um, I was trying to get a signed up with a literary agency in London and I really really was getting so close you know they wanted to read more of my work they wanted to hear a bit more about me personally and my friend actually got a bottle of champagne and stuck it in my fridge and said you know that's for when you get this big yes from this agent and it turned out to be a no and I was absolutely gutted so you know I have Mm. had a few knocks along the way and yeah, of course. It took a lot of risks as well, you it's know, a, financially. Yeah, it's a tough you old know, business. It's a tough it, old business to be in. It really, really is. And, you know, you have to really want to do it. And, like, I ended up leaving my full-time job in PR on a career break. It was a public sector job, you know, in the local council. So it was a very safe, yeah. pensionable job right mm. beside me here at home in Tyrone. And looking back, you know, it wasn't the wisest probably thing to do at the time. <laughs> You know, when you have a mortgage and a family. and yeah. um, But I took a career break and I just couldn't say, I couldn't shake this off. I just really wanted to make it work. So it did suffer for quite a few uh, years, you know, trying to do that. I never did go back to the job. And, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, writing books in Ireland only is never going to make you any money, like an in- proper income. So I was delighted then in more recent years to find myself with um, HarperCollins and over in London and more recently, you know, my books, the past four novels have changed genre ever so slightly in that they're a bit more, I would say, like emotional dramas than the previous yeah. rom-coms. I, I've and seen your books described as, as romantic fiction, but with a grittiness or, or even suspense. Would you agree to that? Yeah, and I think there's, I, I, I deliberately try to write novels that make people think about their own lives when they turn the last page. You know, there's going to be a message in there, um, be it about love, relationships, you know, friendships life in general um, I've had a few ups and downs as, as most of us have when they get to the early 40s you know you've, I've experienced a lot more in life now than what I would have done in those earlier books and I put a lot of that life experience into my characters and into my stories so well, yeah um, that's what I was going to ask you that where your ideas come from I mean if your family or your friends pick up one of the books like would they recognise themselves somewhere in the characters or do you have to be very careful about that Emma you know separating real life we'll say from the fiction in your writings yeah, well, people will always spot themselves if, if they want to, you know, and I think that's a compliment sometimes if they say, you know, that reminded me of me or, you know, um, but I think it's more the themes of life that I take inspiration from rather than people, I know, because that can mm. be a bit dangerous, of course, too, if you just have a character around someone real. So I tend to take, you know, snippets of people's um, lives or themes and some of the things that I've experienced myself, like, um are you a scribbler, Emma, like when you're out and you see things, do you scribble things down, ideas? Not particularly. I probably should do that more as, you know, I'll remember it easier, but I do tend to store a lot in my head and, you know, I can find myself stewing over a story um, without even hardly realising it, you know, when I'm doing yeah. something mundane, like mopping the floors or <laughs> going on a school run or something, you know, I'll be constantly, when I get into that zone, it's very hard to shake it off and I'll be yeah. nearly, you know, 
immersed in the whole story and I've become a bit antisocial I suppose for a while because it does become all consuming. Yeah of course. And to get that that story out. Yeah just to go back to the latest book um, uh, Mm -hmm. just for a second um, it opens with the line I was 22 years and nine months old when I first fell in love with Tom Farley. Emma was there a real Tom Farley? I mean, some of us are lucky enough to have had that, you know, that heart stopping moment when you meet someone and just bam. And some, you know, this book really grabs you from that first line. So that's what I was saying about is it inspired by real life events? Well, I think everyone, everyone that I've, that I've spoken to that has read the book has their own Tom Farley in their lives, be it the man they went on to marry or be it the one that got away, which is the case, you know, at the start of this book. Um and I think, you know, th- th- those moments are, are one-off, you know, they don't happen mm. every day. So when they do, they really stay with you. And maybe, you know, this, this book questions, I suppose, the role of fate and destiny in our lives. And, you know, when we're young and impressionable and someone like that walks into our lives, we can easily think, right, this is it. This has got to be it. Yeah. But um, I suppose as life takes us on different paths and turns, we can look back with fondness on many of the people who we maybe thought were the one. Yeah. And... That who just weren't, and but not, it doesn't mean that it was wrong or it was bad. It just wasn't meant to be the long yeah. term. But I think everybody comes into our lives for a reason and takes us to the next chapter, if you like. And um, the whole story of this book is is Tom Farley, the one for her, the way she feels about him when she's twenty two, you know, and she fell yeah. in love with him for the first time, which gives you a clue that this is going to be a long running thing. You know, she's, she's oh, not going to just don't ruin it for me. Him. I'm looking forward to finishing it over the weekend. <laughs> I'm delighted to be in conversation with author Emma Hetherington, who's still on the line. Welcome back, Emma. Thank you very much, John. Can we go back a little bit, Emma, to your young life? And, and of course, mm-hmm. you had a very tragic event when you were just 15 years of age. Your dear mum passed away. Yes, and that's one of those life-changing moments, you know, that, that inspired, I suppose, this book, Rewrite the Stars. You know, our lives were completely turned upside down when at the age of 15 um, I lost my mother I was the eldest of six children the youngest being eight months old and mummy was only 36 years old she was absolutely full of life oh my goodness yeah she was just the life and soul and she was a brilliant singer in fact um, she'd been out just the week before at a a dinner dance and she'd got up and sang um, Carol King songs and uh, James Taylor she was a really really beautiful singer as they so young and very much into her young family, you know, she's a stay-at-home mum, so we were always used to her being there and we'd come in every day from school and she really encouraged all of us in each of her, you know, talents, be the big or small and she just was such a lovely, warm person. She was the youngest of seven girls herself, so she was idolised amongst her own sisters. Um, so it was a huge, huge shock to our community when one Saturday morning she wasn't feeling well and by that afternoon she was gone. It was just a massive heart attack, was it? It, it was, uh-huh. and it's just, you know, I often think too now, you know, if something like that happened, that was 28 years ago, it was 1991, if something like that happened now, you know, I wonder could they do more, and I'm sure, yeah, you know, of course. medicine has advanced a bit more. And but you being you being the eldest back then, Emma, that must have just thrown you headlong into being an adult. Did you have to grow up overnight? Well, I, I often talk about that, you know, that was the day like my childhood stopped, you know, I had to grow up really yeah. from that day forth and um, like I remember a, having to learn how to work the washing machine, how to make dinner my aunts all rallied around and daddy of course, he was just, he was in complete shock for a few years and um, 
so it took us all really, to, you know, to, we had to pull together and we had to try and just, I'd looking back, I don't know how we did it, but I remember that first Christmas in particular that Daddy gave me, you know, the money for some Christmas shopping and I went away and, and did that and it was just such a grown up thing to do at 15 because at 15. normally I had been on the receiving end of all that, you know, and waking up to surprise, but and having your mummy there but as you yeah. say the, 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 you were the eldest of all those other little ones yeah. so I, at least I guess you have memories of her You, I, I suppose some exactly. of those kids don't remember your mum do they? Yeah the younger ones wouldn't really have, have any memories at all only they would depend on us you know for stories and yeah. my aunties and stuff so we do very much um, try to keep her memory alive and you know my, my brother's a great singer now so he obviously takes after her and recently he found some lyrics that she had written in the attic just a few years ago. He found her diary and she'd written like wee bits of songs and stuff. So he put music to those and, um, you know, hearing that gives us lovely comfort and it allows us to tell the younger ones, you know, yeah. about her singing and about, you know, it explains a lot to me too about where I got my love for writing from because she was obviously... Obviously, yeah, that's where you got it yeah. from, yeah, and your love, yeah. of, your love of music, which, music, which yeah. takes me nicely along to, to talk to you about Nathan Carter. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and Nathan's book, which you, of course, you were the ghostwriter for, for Born for the Road, which, of course, was nominated for, for an Irish Book Award as well. How did, mm-hmm. how did that come about, moving from the novels, Emma, into mm-hmm. um, writing Nathan Carter's life story? Well, the year before uh, Nathan's book came along, I had the pleasure of working with Ireland's Queen of Country Music, Philomena Begley, on her autobiography. And um, Philomena's a neighbour of mine, and she had been approached by O'Brien Press to write her life story, and she needed someone, obviously, to help her. So I was uh, given that brilliant job to do, and it was such a, a refreshing change, I suppose, from, from writing novels. A new mm. challenge, and we had great, great fun doing that. And so, but a year later, then, um, just it was a bit circumstantial, I suppose. Nathan's manager um, was looking for a writer, a ghostwriter, to work alongside him. I was kind of scouting about, thinking, "Gosh, that was great fun with Philomena. I wonder mm. if I could do another one." Yeah. And you know, our paths just crossed, and there was a bit of magic happened in that. Um, I actually contacted John Farry and asked him would he be interested in, in in talking about Nathan writing a book, and he says, "Well, actually." We've already signed with Penguin Ireland, and we're looking for a writer. So, it and I think they just met that day. So it was very. Um, That's meant to happen. Gentle, but yeah, meant to be. And so, how and did that? Go, what did you do then? Did you have to travel on the road with his band to get a proper sense of his life uh, as being Nathan Carter? Is it? What was it like, Emma? It was such such fun, and um, yeah. So I had to get to know Nathan because I was going to be writing the book as him, you know, from his own words in his own head. So. Mm. I, I knew, uh, of course, that he was a fantastic singer. I knew how popular he was, but I needed to get to know the real Nathan behind the scenes. So I was, um, I joined him on tour for five nights over in England. We toured around England and Wales, and I stayed on the tour bus with him and just basically shadowed him. So whatever he was doing on his day-to-day a routine, like he would have uh, sound-checked at four, then they would all go for something to eat, a couple of the band guys and him. Then it was time for the show to open, so we'd have to go and get ready. Um, I'd watch him, uh, you know, prepare for his show, and then do the show, then meeting the fans after it, and then getting to know his, his whole family. You know, I went and visited yeah. his mum and dad in Liverpool. And what's uh, that like, that whole life on the road, Emma? Is it absolutely as crazy as it looks? It is. He works so, so, so hard. It's a really big operation. You know, they've got the big 
um, lorry that follows the, the tour bus or goes ahead of the tour bus, should I say, to the venues and sets up his piano and sets up the drum kit and all that and gets the venue all ready. Then you've got the merchandise side of things that his granny yeah. looks after. Oh, really? Um, Does she? Yeah, she's fabulous. Yeah, um, Nan. Everybody calls her Nan. It's his granny on his mummy's side, and she's the Irish connection. Actually, she's she was McCoy from County Down. So, oh, right, um, okay. Yeah. So it's so not all glamour. There's a lot of work behind the scenes. There's a lot of work, and I think you have to be cut out for it. Um, now, five days is enough for me. Probably I like my home comforts, but I mean to say. The, the hospitality and welcome that Nathan and, and the band and, and his granny and all his family gave me was second to none. And it was a real eye-opener. Like, as a music fan, it was just spectacular to, to get that behind-the-scenes look at how it all goes on. And yeah. I, I actually loved even watching him in soundcheck because he sometimes threw in a couple of songs, you know, that he liked, just personal favourites of his. Yeah. And, and he was very relaxed and I just loved hearing him. His, his talent is... Probably, you know, a hundred times more than what we even realise. He's so, so talented as a musician and his then, voice, of course. Well, speaking of talent now, as as well as the books you've written, you, you've written, you've done more than 30 educational short films and plays and musicals and no less than 11 novels. So, I mean, let's talk yeah. about talent here with yourself, Emma. And h- how on earth do you get time to relax? What And if you do get time, what, what do you like to do? Well, I would say that, you know, that writing is, is, because I love it so much, that is probably the, the way I like to relax. But apart from that, on a more, um, I suppose, normal level, a, I just love spending time with friends and family, just doing ordinary things. Like, I love going to concerts, obviously. I absolutely love going to concerts, anything live, um, music orientated or musical theatre. And, and uh, I believe I you're in, you're, you, you, you love your country music, is that right? I love it, yes. Yeah, so I do indeed. I love American country music in particular. Myself um, too. I would love to go to see Keith Urban. That's my... That's on my bucket list. I can't believe I missed him last year at the Country to Country concert. I'm kicking myself. Oh, yeah. And but, I don't think yeah. he's coming next year. I don't think he's on the no, lineup, it is he? No, not like it. But he's going to be in Glasgow and, and over in Manchester and places like that. So hopefully I'll get someone to come with me and we'll go. And I'll go with you. I'll go with you, Emma. Absolutely, I'll go with you. I love Keith Urban. He's amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So do I. So, I love American that, country music. Yeah, and, I, and I, I'm mad to get to Nashville as well. I've got a real thing about Nashville I haven't got yet, but someday, someday very soon, I hope to go over to Nashville and see what it's all about. Yeah, myself um, as well, never been. Yeah, that's a, that's yeah. one on my list as well. But I, I don't know, they say, you know, um, that it's not all it's cracked up to be, but I think if you're into country music, you're just going to love yeah. it. Well, I mean, Nathan's over there now, and, you know, I'm just following his Instagram stories, and I think if you're into that, you will have an absolute ball. It keeps yeah. working there, but the same to be having the crack too. And um, you know, in all the bars, there's live music everywhere. Yeah. I have heard the same as you have heard that it's maybe not just as as impressive. But I think if you're into that music, you'll, you'll you're just going to love it absolutely. Yeah. And and then just just back to the writing for a second. Do you do you read yourself? I mean, who's who's your favourite writer? Um, I have to fly the flag, of course, for some of the Irish authors. You know, I I love women's commercial fiction. From Ireland, so you know, I I get to work alongside her, loads of, of of names like Carmel Harrington and Snowy Carney, and you know they're all the top of fiction. Claire Allen, friend from Derry, um, I love to read their books and just to keep in touch with what everyone else is up to, you know, who yeah. are working in the same genre, and then we get to meet up every now and then too at at functions. So it's great fun to be able to mix with those people. Marion Keys, of course, I grew up reading her stuff and people yeah. like Trisha Scanlon, Sheila Flanagan, um. I just love getting immersed in a good, you know, our story that yeah. women can relate to. 
And I think oh, we're touching, really? we're, you know, we're all touching now on very real life subjects. Um, so, because women have so much to do, you know, with, you know, I know my life is absolutely hectic with kids and, you know. Yeah. It sounds it. It sounds it. I, I, I mean, I feel I almost feel guilty for taking the, these 15 minutes out of your day, Emma, because you're absolutely oh crazy busy. But you know something? It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, Emma, and continued success. And thanks a million for taking time to join me today on Late Lunch. Thanks, Emma. We'll get that date with Keith Urban sorted too. too. Definitely, Emma. Definitely. <laughs> that's a date. Thanks a million. Take care. So bye bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Renault Runway event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Call in to see how affordable a new car is in the new year. Oh, you're very welcome back to the programme. Now, we're going to stay on the subject of writing, but this time the subject of letter writing. Because how many of us still put pen to paper and write a letter to somebody? When's the last time you took out the old notepad and sat down to write to someone who's living abroad or even at home or even down the road? Or is the art of letter writing dead and gone? Now, on the line is a lady called Anya Tuffy-Gogarty, who's keeping the art of letter writing alive and has no less than 12 pen pals right across the world. Anya, you're very welcome to late lunch. Thanks very much, Joan. Now, tell me how all of this started. I mean, Anya, did you have pen pals when you were a child? I would have, yes. Um, oh, years ago, you know, when we went on family holidays, you'd always team up with some other family that were on holidays at the same time, and we would have kept in touch then. And uh, then as a teenager, when I went to the Gale Tuck, sure, you made loads of friends there mm. too, and swapped addresses, and a few of them would have become great pen pals now I had one in particular, we used to, oh, the letters were, I would cringe if I had to read them now, but they used <laughs> to be like novels, they were so long. I know, yeah, but is it gone, the art of letter writing, do you think? I mean, for you, it's big in your life, but out there, is it gone, do you think? I think it is a lot, you know, because everything is so instant now, you know, there's yeah. so many ways of instantly messaging somebody, but there's just something lovely about sitting down with a piece of paper thinking, what am I going to write? And you just, you kind of empty your mind I find I don't write too many. I probably would only write one letter a week at the most because you're, you put so much of yourself onto the paper that it, it, it does drain a bit. It does, but it's lovely to get a letter in the post. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I got an actual letter in the post. And you know what? The kids today, the youngsters, they'll probably never know that excitement of waiting for the postman, you know, to see did, the, did your friend or your boyfriend whoever write to you that week. I, I can remember doing that, standing waiting for the postman. And it's actually, it's my son's birthday on Sunday and he's been watching the post box all week. And I thought, oh, that's the only weekend of the whole year that he does that. Yeah. Because um, usually it's just flyers for the local supermarket or it's a bill or something yeah. like that. But that's, that was one of the reasons I started. I wanted to get excited about seeing the postman again. <laughs> exactly. And what made you put out the call for pen pals then? You have 12, is that right? Yes. Um, it was a New Year's resolution. Um, what year are we in? 2019. So it was 2018. Um, and one of my New Year's resolutions, I just wanted to get back into letter writing again and be a bit more creative. And um, then there was actually a post, um, I don't know if you follow them, the Humans of New York page. Oh, yes, I do. Facebook, yeah. And there was a story about a couple in, I think they were in India, and they their parents didn't approve of the relationship, so they had this little diary that they used to write in, and every, you know one would keep it for a month, and then they'd post it to the other or hand it if they got to meet. And um, just in the comments on that post, there were so many people saying, oh, I miss writing letters and I wish I still had a pen pal. So I started <laughs> randomly commenting like a, a, a strange person on uh, a few of the posts um, and a few of them messaged back. So that's just where it started. So I had 
I got several pen pals off there and some of them have kept in touch. And then when I put it on my own Facebook, a few people that, you know, that I would have been friends with on Facebook got in touch too and said, oh, they would love a letter. So, And are they all uh, scattered across the world on you? Yeah, I just took a little note there before you called. I have uh, two in Ireland. I have four in the US, two in Australia. Then I have New Zealand, France, Switzerland, Germany and Spain. And you sit down and you write to them. How often? Um, oh, probably everyone probably gets about two to three letters a year, I would say. Some are better than others. There are some, you know, I'll, I'll send a letter and a week later I'll have a reply and I'm thinking, oh no, I feel so guilty. <laughs> it's going to sit there. What I tried to do was, um, I took that tip from another pen pal who mentioned it. I don't open a letter until I'm ready to reply to it. Because sometimes I read one and then I just discard it and I forget, so... I, it's the excitement of looking forward to opening a letter then oh. makes me write another one. Oh, oh God, I wouldn't be able to leave it. God, you're very <laughs> disciplined. You leave it sitting there until you have time to write back. I do, yeah. And then I had to get all organised and I have a little folder here that I have all the letters in and I have to write the date that I've replied. And There's a yeah. bit of organising that I never thought of. And do you know something? Have you plans to go to travel to meet these pen pals? Um, I haven't made definite plans, but I would say that... Um, a few, um, let me see, have I met? So there's one I have met. Um, some of them I would, uh, sorry, two I have met, actually. And um, if I was planning a break to where they are, I would definitely go and visit. There's another, the girl in Switzerland is actually near where my sister lives. So I said, next time I'm out in Switzerland, I'll definitely get in touch. You'll have to, yeah. You And tell me this, have you have your children got pen pals? Yes, my well, my daughter does. The, my two sons are far too cool for that stuff. Oh, yeah, but, of course. Uh, my daughter is, she's just turned 10. And uh, a few of my pen pals would have kids that she writes to as well. So she enjoys that. And I was just wondering, myself and Louise were talking in the office before the show, any of our listeners out there, have any of you guys got pen pals? And, and if you have, how long have you been writing to each other? And let us know about it. We might carry this article forward. 0861800658. If you have a pen pal now or if you had one when you were a child, if you have fond memories of having pen pals. I was saying to Louise, I had a pen pal in Canada um, when I was, I don't know, about 11 or 12. I can't remember if it was a boy or a girl. Isn't that terrible? I can't <laughs> even remember their name. But I do remember we used to write to each other regularly. I have no idea. And then I had a pen friend in Dublin when I was about 15 and he was in Dublin and we're still friends to this day. So, yeah, yeah and we we just we, we met on the Iron Islands when we were both throwing up over the side of the ferry when we were about 15. <laughs> and we swapped addresses and we're friends ever since then. Now, that's a long, long time ago. <laughs> but um, I mean, I think it's a lovely thing. It, it's a fabulous thing to do, to sit down with, with a nice uh, piece of paper and a pen. And, and we were also saying, do you remember those notepads that had a nice, well, not really nice, but they had a smell. They were pink or they had flowers or oh, strawberries. Oh, yes, fancy them. paper, we used to call it. Fancy paper, that's it, yeah. And, and then you didn't want to write on it because you ruined it. Yes, it was too nice. It's so hard to find nice writing paper now. I've been on the, the lookout for it, but, you know, you only get tiny little pads of paper now. And sure, I would write, I usually use a full scap, um, and I could write three or four pages per letter. So if I was on small pages, it would probably be seven or eight. Well, I was wondering that, like, if you're writing, how long are these letters that you're writing? Yeah, usually three to four full scap pages. Now, sometimes I lose the run of myself and it goes into five, and then I think, oh, am I boring this person? But I know the letters that I receive are, are never boring, so hopefully the other person feels the same about mine. And you keep them all, do you? Yes, I have them all here in a little folder. 
Do you know, I have a box of letters at home from my husband when we were just dating and he, he, he lived in Dublin, I lived in Galway. So back then in the 80s, all you did was write to each other. And um, I still have them and I was saying I must get rid of them because if, if anything happens to us and the kids find these... <laughs> <laughs> you know all these gushing love letters from from the from the early eighties. Oh dear God! <laughs> so I'm thinking some night we should in the summer we should sit out and uh, make a bonfire and a glass of wine and burn them all. But I don't know what would you say to that? Should I burn them? <laughs> oh, you'll have to read them first. Then. I think you should dare each other to read some of them out loud. <laughs> oh God, cringe! As you were saying earlier, really, really cringe. So I'm looking for the listeners to to text us in and tell us about their cringy pen pal moments, their cringy letters, love letters that they have. For from years ago and if you have a pen pal please do please do let us know about it so it's it's a wonderful thing and I think what would you say to people on you supposing people are saying do you know what I, I'm going to go down now and I'm going to buy a notepad and I'm going to get it out and I'm going to write to somebody what would you say to someone what's, what's so brilliant about it oh I would definitely say go for it it's just that the, the joy that someone gets from getting a proper handwritten letter in the post and the excitement of thinking whose writing is that do I recognise that writing and, oh it's just lovely and the the anticipation then when you know you've sent one to somebody. And, you know, it could be maybe an older person that you know who's a wee bit lonely or who doesn't get many letters. And people really appreciate it. I think they do. And you know what? We're going, I, have to, I have to finish up in a second. But um, I brought in a letter and I was going to read a little bit of it out to you. And it was a letter that was written to me when I was 17 years of age and I was working as an au pair in the south of France and I was miserable on you. Miserable. And this letter came to me from my granny and she was in her 80s at the time and her hands were crippled with arthritis. And I have it here now. It's framed. So give me a second. I I have it framed. And um, she wrote to me and she just said, thanks for your letter and how are you getting on? I hope you're settling down. So don't mind writing to every Tom, Dick and Harry. Only forget them and mind your job. You know you've nothing to get here in Balnaslow. (laughs) <laughs> That's what she said to me. In other words, don't be coming home. But she signed off at the end and she said, I hope you'll be able to read this scribbling for my hands is crippled. Bye bye and content yourself. God bless and keep you. Isn't that lovely? That gave me goosebumps. It's so nice to have that after yeah. someone is gone. Isn't it lovely? Yeah, isn't yeah. it? And she was, I, I think she was nearly 80 when she wrote that to me. And, and, and her, like I was saying, oh, I'm miserable. I hate it here. I want to come home. And Granny would be saying, settle down now and content yourself. And don't be yeah. writing to every <laughs> Tom, Dick and Harry. <laughs> and I still have, and I framed it with the photograph of her. I brought yeah. it in here. So we, we'll put that picture up, up on the website as well. Anya, Tuffy, Gogarty, keep up the writing. And thank you so much for joining me on Late Lunch this afternoon. Thank you, Joan. It was lovely talking to you. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Renault Runway event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Save thousands across the range for the new year. Welcome back to the programme. Now we have a lovely little tale for you, no pun intended, of, of a family dog who, who actually was in an accident and dragged herself home after she was hit by a car. Now I have the dog's owner, Shanna Toot Vandeveld, on the line. How are you, Shanna? Hi, how are you? Hi, Shanna. How old are you? I'm 16. 16? Yeah. And Sasha is your dog. And Sasha is, what type of dog is she? She's a Springer Spaniel. A Springer Spaniel. Now, we all, anyone who knows dogs, and I love my dogs, Springer Spaniels, they're very lively. What yeah. happened? What happened to Sasha? So I was just looking out my window and I saw her coming up the driveway, obviously walking really funny. So I ran out to her and she was actually dragging her back, her back legs with her two front legs. So, and I, I could obviously tell straight away there was something wrong. 
so That's she was true. dragging the back end along and and walk, yeah. dragging herself along and and yeah. okay so after what what had happened to her so, so she had just been uh, she'd escaped from the garden and she'd just been running across the road and not a car obviously had come out of nowhere and hit her she'd run out in front of it so normally she would she be contained behind a gate or something but she managed to get, escape the garden yeah, we actually have an open gate, but she, she knows herself. She's really not allowed over there. We used to have a, a little collar for her to beep every time. Oh, God, she's one of those radio collars. She used to, but then she, we took it off her because it was... Yeah, but she, as far as she knows, it's still on her, so she never crossed the yeah. gate, was that it? Yeah, exactly. But she must have seen a cat or a rabbit or something. Yeah, she must have and just run straight across the road. And she was hit by the car. Yeah. How far did she have to go? Do you know where the accident happened? No, we actually never got told where exactly, but we're guessing she'd come with at least 40 metres or so because it definitely didn't happen in front of the house. Okay, and she managed to drag herself back home into the garden to look for help. Yeah, yeah. So who found her in the garden? Was it yourself? Yeah, it was actually me. I just ran out over to her and she just lay down in front of me and she wouldn't move. And was she crying or making any sound no, at all? No, she made absolutely no noise at all. She just lay down. Probably in shock, was she? Yeah. So what happened then? Tell me next. What happened next? So she wasn't moving at all, so I picked her up and brought her into her bed. And we tried to get her to walk, but she just made no noise and just lay down. So we knew straight away we needed to bring her to the vet. And we brought her in her bed. And when we got there, they said they had a call from a woman who hit a dog on our road. And she'd actually gone looking for the dog, but she couldn't find it. Well, that's unusual in itself for somebody to admit to hitting a dog, isn't it? And to ring the local vets in concern. Fair play to her. Yeah, it was really nice. She called them. Now, Shanna, I'm looking at the x-ray of of, of Sasha. My goodness me, that's a serious injury. Yes. She was in bed rest for two months, I think it was, after surgery. She had a dislocated right hip. Yeah. And she wasn't making a sound. She dragged herself back home with a dislocated hip. Yeah, completely. She just made no noise at all. So, did she need surgery? Yeah, she got... The vet kept her for, I think it was two days, and then brought her into surgery, and she came straight home after that, and straight into cage rest. Oh, straight into... Now, we're talking about a Springer Spaniel here on cage rest. Yeah. Now, that's a challenge in itself, <laughs> it's isn't it, Jenna? impossible. <laughs> oh, I know, exactly. Almost impossible. So after she had her surgery, she was sent home and then did she have some kind of a brace on her or what way was no, she? she had no brace or anything, but she really had a very small cage and she was not allowed to move and unless she had to go to the toilet and that was on lead. So you had to just bring her in and out to do the business and back in home. Yeah. And yeah, and and how is she doing now? Now she's absolutely happy as ever. She's honestly the happiest one you can think of. How long ago was this, the accident? This was around two, it was July, I think. Yeah, July or early June. Sorry, early July. Yeah. Oh, OK, OK, in July. So, so she's had a few months recovery. So is she back to yeah. normal? Yeah, she's completely recovered, actually. And what are you doing oh, about the front gate being left open? Um, she hasn't. I think she's learned her last bit there. She hasn't crossed it since, has she? No, definitely not. We haven't caught her anyway. And tell me this, where whereabouts did this happen? Where are you living, Shanna? Uh, in, on the Bog Road in Dunshockland. Oh, in Dunshockland. So was it the village vets she was taken to in Dunshockland? Yeah. Oh, we yeah, know a couple of the guys there. Fantastic, fantastic yeah, practice. Yeah, really lovely. Yeah. And tell me this, have you any other pets, any other dogs or cats or anything? We have two cats. 
Oh, okay. And how are they? So she should have been used to cats then. You wouldn't yeah, think yeah. she'd have gone... Well, she has a problem with every other cat that comes. <laughs> <laughs> but not your own? No. The same never. with my fella at home. We have a dog and a cat, no issues. But any stray cats that come in, he's after them like a yeah. bullet. <laughs> oh, my God. So I'm delighted to hear that she's doing well. So she, she'll live for another while anyway and hopefully she'll never never go out on the road again. Yeah, it's, I hope so. it's It's heartbreaking, isn't it, when you see them in that situation? It really was. We were really, really concerned. We didn't think it was going to be as like as okay as it was. How so old okay. is she, Shanna? Is she a young dog? She's eight now. Oh, yeah. she's eight. Old she's enough to old. know better now, Sasha. Yeah, but she acts like a puppy. Does she? She acts I like... I think she's eight. <laughs> Shanna, do you know what? Thanks a million. It's been lovely talking to you. And Thank anyone you who knows me knows I absolutely adore my dog and all dogs. <laughs> so I'm delighted looking at the photos of Sasha and that she's all all better now again. And hopefully <laughs> nothing like this will ever happen again. Yeah, hopefully. Shanna, thanks That's a million. Many fun. more happy years with Sasha. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Renault Runway event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Save thousands across the range for the new year. Welcome back to Late Lunch. Now we're going to talk about all things sporting and I'm joined on the line from Boyle Sports by none other than Leon Blanche. Good afternoon, Leon. Good afternoon, Joan. How are you? I'm great, thanks. So we have another busy weekend ahead. Yeah, look, we certainly do. Look, I suppose the biggest um, sporting event, certainly it'll come just after the weekend, Monday night at the Aviva. Um, Mick McCarthy's Irish team will take on Denmark. And obviously, if they're able to beat Denmark, they will qualify directly for Euro 2020, which is a huge incentive when you factor in the account that there's going to be a couple of games played in Dublin. Um, so, it, look, it's, it doesn't get any bigger Ireland, they haven't been fantastic in this group. They do struggle to score goals. That's why they're the underdog at five to two, even though they're at home. Denmark are eleven to ten, and the draw is eleven to five. So, look, here's hoping, and um, they can put in one of those magical performances. It's a winner-take-all game in terms of qualification. They have been hit by the injuries. Um, to young Connolly, who's been playing ever so well for Brighton in the Premier League, but McGoldrick is back. Um, Darren Randolph, the keeper who has been excellent in this campaign, he's fit to play. And look, here's hoping that it's a full house and the Irish fans will get behind the team. And it would be remarkable if we could qualify for Euro 2020. As I said, with those games in Dublin, it really gives the Irish team a huge incentive to try and get the job done on Monday night. So here's hoping 5 to 2 Ireland, hopefully they can. It won't be pretty. It'll be a tough game against Denmark. We won't score a lot of goals, but hopefully we'll only need one or two, and that might just see us over the line. Uh, Fingers crossed for the boys in green. Switching over to rugby, it is the start of the Champions Cup, which of course is the European um, edition for the four provinces, and I think looking at it, Leinster, um, they were very good last week when they travelled to absolutely hammer Connacht. It was a very good performance, and Leinster are the overwhelming favourites uh, to beat Benetton uh, tomorrow at home at a quarter past three. The handicap betting sees Leinster minus 23 points. Um, so that means if you think Leinster um, can win, 
and they've got to win by 24 or more at 10 to 11. And I think they can do it. I thought they were very good, as I said, against Connacht. If they put in a performance like that again, but a few of the Irish players might be coming back. I think the likes of Johnny Sexton uh, will play, and that's a big boost for Leinster. Obviously, Ulster travel away uh, to play Bath. That's going to be a very, very difficult game. I think Bath at home probably will be too strong for Ulster. Um, we did mention uh, Connacht. They play um, against Montpellier at home. Uh, that game, of course, uh, will take place on Sunday at 1 o'clock. They're going to have to improve from their performance, uh, certainly against Leinster. Montpellier are a big physical side, so I think what Connacht are going to have to do is they're going to have to move the ball quite quickly. Uh, they don't want to get into a physical battle against the French. I think if they do, I think Montpellier will beat them. But Connacht, they need a much improved performance. And then finally, I think Munster uh, will also win away against the Ospreys. Uh, that game does take place actually tomorrow evening at half past five. But Munster and Leinster, I think both of them will win and win quite comfortably. I do, however, feel Bath will beat Ulster. And unless Connacht can improve their performance greatly than what they produced against Leinster, I think unfortunately Montpellier might just come away with the victory down in Galway on Sunday at one o'clock. Leon, a really busy weekend ahead there for sporting fans. Thanks a million to you. All the best, Joan. Have a Have great a weekend. Have a brilliant weekend, you. Thanks a million, Leon. Take care. Bye-bye. 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 Now, just uh, to recap on a couple of items that we did earlier in the show, and we have had a rake of texts in, especially about the item we did on Infidelity Friday. Someone says, Infidelity Friday, why would you waste a good night out? Another lady says, that girl was right. We're married 57 years and it really is about the little things and not the big gestures. Then on the subject of writing letters, what a lovely piece. I think it's mostly the older generation who write letters now. It really is a dying art. Somebody else texts in to say, I remember going to a Catholic school and the Mercy Sisters would pair us off with pen pals in Africa and everybody wrote for a few months, but then it all fizzled out. Another lady called Vera says, I still love to write letters. I have a pen pal in Scotland since 1966. We met on holidays in Skerries when I was a hairstylist. Still writing since 1966. Fair play to you, Vera, for that. Another lady says, I still have my pen pal in the UK that I met on teletext when we were around 10 years of age. We're now 46. That comes from Susan. We're still friends on Facebook. His mum always sends me a Christmas card, but we've never met. We're going to meet next year. Even his wife and kids are my friends now and we've never met them. So that's from Susan, who's 46 and has this pen pal since she was 10 years of age. So we've had a lot of reaction to a couple of things in particular, but particularly to the letter writing. But to close the show today, I just want to tell you about something that's happening tomorrow. Now, those of you who will be up and about early tomorrow morning might just see a team of lads soloing a ball up the main roads to Dublin. To tell us what it's all about, I'm joined by Desi Rogers from St. Alton's Gaelic Football Club in Meath and he's going to join me just in a few seconds. We have to take a break. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Renault Runway event is now on at Blackstone Motors Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Save thousands across the range for the new year. As I said just before the break, any of you who are out and about early tomorrow morning might see a gang of lads running up towards Dublin, soloing a ball. And uh, for those of you who don't know what soloing a ball is, and I'm one of them, I'm joined on the line now by Desi Rogers from St. Alton's Gaelic Football Club in Meath. How are you, Desi? Hi, Joan. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. What are you doing tomorrow morning? 
Well, it's part of a very um, big fundraiser we're doing for for the club. We're we're, we're carrying out one of the big skills of Gaelic football, and uh, which is called the solo run, whereby you've got to uh, solo for the ball for, from the toe to hand, and included is, is a hop as you go. It's one of the big skills in Gaelic football, apart from high fielding and picking the ball off the ground off the toe and all that. But you're not doing it on a pitch; you're doing it on the main roads. We're doing it on the main roads. We're going from St. Dalton's uh, GRC Park up the, the whole way up to Crow Park. Um, along the journey, we'll be going in through the town of Navan. We'll be going on the footpaths, of course, uh, heading out through Johnstown and up towards Dalgan Park, onto Dunshockland, Key Park, Blanchardstown, and we're going to at Blanchardstown going to try and get back onto the canal, and uh, that will take us directly into the grounds of Crow Park. How many people are doing this, Desi? We're hoping to have somewhere in the region of 40 to 50 players between our, our own players, past and present. Um, the Carter and, Carter and GFC players are joining in with us as well. And the um, St. Dalton's Ladies GFC have, have a, a number of girls coming to do it with us as well, yeah. All tugged out in their, in their gear? We're all tugged out. Um, we're starting off at 7 o'clock in the morning. The first leg will be started off by a few legends, Johnny Moreau, Sean Bylan, Pat English and myself will kick it off and we hope to have about 20 or 30 of us maybe finishing off in Croke Park at around 3 o'clock, three, half 3 tomorrow evening, yeah. So you hope to get to Croke Park by about 3 o'clock? We do, we well, do, certainly. All, all things going well. That's that's a tough challenge now. That's a tough challenge to to trot the whole way, kicking a ball and soloing well, a ball. Well, it's not, it's not easy, but the lads, you know, took it upon, you know, fundraising is a difficult game, as you well know, mm. and... Um, this is a novel idea. Um, it's 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 part of the GAA to be able to do a solo run and to be good at it. And we've we've a few lads that are very good at it here. So an interesting challenge. And um, it we'll is. Have to a, say, and, yeah, and, go on. And and what's it all in aid of, Desi? Well, actually, we've had a we've had a, a spate of bad injuries this year in the club, and um, we've had a couple of young lads who have had. Well, one has had to have a second operation for acute repair. And another lad has had to take an operation on his knee. But all in all, we're, we're, we're looking after a, a, a grand young lad called um, Greg McKeever. And Greg had a very, very serious injury to his ankle and lower, lower leg playing in a, in a league match uh, back in July. Um, pretty horrendous injury and he has been out of work since, obviously. He, you know, the first part of his recovery, he was in a, an orthopedic cage. Well, his foot was in an orthopedic cage for, for three months. He's had three operations. There's more to come. The timescale of his recovery, Joan, I can't really tell you, but it's, it's going to be quite a long time. And, um, you know, the players and the club and all the people in the parish, says, you know, we we really, really have to do something here for to help the lad along because he's a grand fella. I'm and sure he, he is. Still, he still remains in great form. Where you beat him? <laughs> but are these injuries, you know, when you're playing Gaelic football, they're part and parcel of it or, or an injury now like Greg's. Would that be fairly rare? Well, thankfully, Greg's injury would be fairly rare. You will get sprained ankles and you will get, you know, torn ligaments here, there and everywhere. It's part of the game. But Greg's injury was a particularly horrendous one. And um, I don't know if people have seen the Everton match there quite a couple of weeks ago where um, your man Gomez had a really bad ankle injury. Something similar to Greg's, but... Greg's had some more complications in it with some uh, some breaks in the, in the foot as well. So I saw that. Uh, I actually saw that. And I'm not into sport. And I actually saw that. And I actually cringed when I saw the angle his foot was at. That's right. Well, Greg was in a very similar angle and maybe mm. even worse because I was, I was on duty that night myself. And, 
you know, there was no impact, there was no trauma. It was just whatever way he put his foot down on the ground as he was as he was turning in towards the ball, and his ankle just completely gave way. And if there's like somebody who's playing Gaelic football like that, and they're they're they have a full time job as well, and something like this happens. Is there normally any support out there for some fellas who are injured? Or, or is this, uh, are you doing this now? Is this a first of its kind? Well, I won't say it's a first of its kind. Look, there is there is a, a player, a GA player, an um, insurance scheme, okay. And it, it does its best for, for, for what, it's limited to what it does, but it, it does its best. But mm. in this day and age, so it's not enough for, for a young guy, 22, 23 years of age, yeah. you know, in, 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 full of his health, working hard and playing the sport that he loves and, to be stricken down with such a horrendous injury, you know, it's, it's, it's sad. Oh, it is. So tell us then, so you get to Croke Park around three, half past three. What, what's happening then? That's right. Well, to do in order to do that, the players have put a tariff upon themselves where they got they went out and sourced sponsorship for themselves to the tune of €200 Euro per player. And the, the response has been phenomenal, I have to say. And the, the, the players decided that themselves. It wasn't what the club says, we want you to yeah. do this or do that. They got two hundred euro each, and so they have the right to get on the road and solo their ways and solo a couple of a couple of the legs on the way up to Crow Park. And then tomorrow night in the Silver tomorrow Tankard. Night, then, yes, in the Silver Tankard, we have a big night tomorrow night in the in the Silver Tankard. We have uh, a very uh, what would it call diverse auction uh, a list of uh, stuff for auction, and I go through some of them very quickly for you. We also have a raffle, and um, we have music by uh, Johnny Slats and. Loads of finger food for everybody who wants to attend. But uh, we have some very interesting stuff in in, in the auction. And, uh, you know, uh, curiosity will kill the cat for some people. But um, yeah. some wonderful, wonderful prizes being offered up for, uh, for auction. I see that. Yeah, I see that. A, a trip around Gordon Elliott's yard. Gordon Elliott has kindly offered to bring um, four people around his yard and introduce everybody to his racing stars. Um, Tiger Rolls will come to mind and Apple's Jade etc etc and also to view these horses exercising and, and galloping on, on his uh, on his gallops up in Summerhill And then what, how, how will people know about how would you get tickets or is it all sold out already Desi? Well it's not it's not sold out anybody who wants can certainly come to the Silver Tankard and uh, and um, join in with us but we we have um, Twitter and Facebook and you can you can put a bid in for for a number of um, prizes that we ha- we have an offer, we have some wonderful charities there as well. Um, Stephen Cluxton, our five in a row man, has given us uh, has given us one of his charities for the for the year. Um, Seamus Callanan, the holder of the year, he's also got a temporary charity signed for us, and I have to thank Tommy Dunn uh, for his work on that one. We also have a beautiful hamper from um, La Royale Day Spa from from Burnley there, and um, great place to gift vouchers for us men when we're looking for. Christmas presents, and we have, <laughs> we have a tour of the doll for a doll Aaron for four people, including Emil Damien English, um, sourced that one for us. And uh, you know, with Kilkenny Jersey, Tipperary Jersey, Munsters Rugby Jersey, we also have the Dundalk Keepers Jersey, which is the special edition, and we already have two hundred euro of a bid on that. Oh, um, right, okay. Two two other things, and in no particular, we have a twenty-four inch colour TV. Uh, kindly sponsored by Sean Donoghue Electric in Avon, with thanks to, to Brian, the manager there. And a wonderful lawnmower, would you believe, from, from uh, Leakscape Hire, thanks to Tony Fox and his, his people up there. Okay. Also, a fantastic Christmas hamper from Hogan's tur- Turkeys, to name but just a few. And Johnny Murphy, our most famous man from the parish, he has signed 
a pair of writing breeches from him and uh, that should be interesting on, on, on the night as well for you. Oh sure, look, the, the, the hamper from La Royale Day Spa now be enough to have me going to the tankard tomorrow well, night, I can tell I you. I believe now there's some very expensive creams in it. I wouldn't <laughs> be great with creams myself, but I believe there's some lovely lotions and oh creams. My God, I'd make use of them and I'd need to make use of them, <laughs> says you. So uh, tell me again, the Facebook page where people can find out about this? St. Dalton's, uh, St. Dalton's uh, Twitter and Facebook page, Garode Rennings will be marshalling that now throughout the day and you know if people want to place the bid on on any of the items they can do so right up to eight o'clock and if they leave their number with us on it and they're really keen to 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 buy or you know one of these fantastic prizes um look we call them back on the night and see if they want to make a another bit or a live bit on the night you know what I mean lovely stuff well I'm just putting the shout out there anyone that's up early tomorrow morning from 7 o'clock is going to see a big bunch of lads and girls soloing a ball up the main roads from Navan up to Dublin Desi Rogers the best of luck with it all and thanks a million Joan could I just say one more little thing quickly yeah, if you can Desi yeah listen we've been going around house to house for, in, in Boromine Parish for the last three to four weeks and we've had a fantastic response Boromine has to be one of the greatest parishes in Ireland for generosity when it comes to fundraising lovely and okay. I just want to say sincere thanks to everybody there. Great. Okay. That's done. Thanks a million, Desi. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. That's it from Late Lunch this afternoon. My thanks as always to all the guests today, to Louise for keeping us between the ditches and to you, the listener. Have a lovely weekend. Look after each other. Bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Renault Runway event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Save thousands across the range for the new year. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.